Exploring Mormon Thought features discussions about Mormon doctrine and theology that correlate with topics in the book series of the same name written by scholar and theologian Blake Osler. Find us online at exploringmormonthought.com and facebook.com forward slash exploringmormonthought. Welcome to the latest episode of Exploring Mormon Thought. Today we're continuing with the Heart of Atonement section of Fire on the Horizon. And this is the second chapter in that section. And last time we talked about Adam and Eve and kind of the symbolism of we are all Adam and Eve and what that means and how far, you know, we can delve into that metaphor. Now we're going to do that a little bit further, but with a specific aspect of it. This section or this chapter is called The Cherubim Sword. And so, uh, if you'll remember from the Adam and Eve story, after they're cast out of the garden, then God states that basically he's placing a cherubim with a flaming sword that spins in all directions that blocks the way back into the Garden of Eden so that they can't go back in. And, you know, there's various symbols that go along with that. So we're going to talk about a few of those tonight. Well, first off, what is a cherubim, I guess? A cherubim is a, is a flaming angel, but he's an angel of the heavenly army. And so he's essentially an angel warrior who protects the heavenly temple. And so that's what a cherubim is. So is it cherubim or cherubim? I've heard both. Well, if you follow the roots, cherubim. All right. So I'll start with this quote, and then you can kind of talk about what symbolism that you have drawn out of it. So you say, we are no longer little children, and it appears that we cannot go back to those blissful days of innocence. Yet, why is it death to return to innocence, and why would God block us from eating the fruit of the tree of life? So, if you'll recall, they could eat the fruit of the tree of life before, and just not the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But since they did that, then they got cast out, so they couldn't go back and eat the tree. So, obviously, this is a story, and as we stated last time, it has kind of, a, it's the genre of like a, a story about all humanity, and we're supposed to see ourselves in this role, especially within the temple endowment. So, I guess, just expound on that idea of how we can't go back Sure. I mean, the strange thing about this is that when Adam and Eve are introduced into the garden at first, they're told that they can eat of every tree of the garden except for the tree of good and evil. And so the tree of life, if it were there, it's something they couldn't partake of, and they weren't blocked from it. But after they've become knowledgeable about good and evil, they cannot partake of the fruit of this particular tree of life. The question is, well, why not? What's, what would happen if they were to be able to partake of that fruit of the tree of life? And that's a part of what we're going to delve into. Even more interesting is that the choice is not left to them this time. They're given a choice about the tree of knowledge of good and evil. God is not giving them a choice about the tree of life. This is something that is outside of our choice. We have no choice about whether we will partake of the tree of life in innocence and before we have lived life. Maybe this kind of falls into what I, I try to teach my kids, is you can choose your actions, but you can't necessarily choose the consequences of those actions. In fact, in fact, necessarily, you can't choose the consequences. And the bottom line is that they knew the consequence that they would be cast out of the garden, or really, they would die. And so what they're doing is dying to their prior life. They're being cast out into a new world. They're being blocked from going back to where they were before. They have no choice about it again. This is imperative to understand. 
it's not a matter of do you choose to stay here or do you choose to move forward into this new life. They're being compelled to move forward now, and they cannot go back. And that's a real key to what's occurring here. It's blocked to them. They can't. It's a death to go that back that way because that cure being with the sword, the whole point of the sword is he'll kill them. All right. And then you're going to say if, if Adam and Eve eat of the tree of life, they will live forever with the immediate consequences of their choices, which in their present state consigns them to be cut off from God's presence forever, I would imagine. They have made a choice. Their choice is to confront a mortal life. They're going to, their choice, we're going to leave God's presence. We're going to experience a life where there are challenges and opposition in all things because it's necessary for us to do that. They see that very clearly. What they don't see very clearly is that the life they've lived is now closed to them. The past is something they can't go back to. And so what is it that the Tree of Life is teaching us? We'll get more into that in the next podcast. And this one is, what is the Caribbean Sword teaching us? That it's death to go back that way. Okay, and then, you know, this is your meditation on the Temple Endowment. So what do you draw from that? And if we are Adam and Eve... Are you, like, it? I don't know, I'm, I guess let's clarify what it's not. So, for example, you're not saying if you die young, that's bad, and that's going back to God too early or something? Obviously not. In fact, in Mormonism, dying young is, is no deficit at all because you're guaranteed celestial glory. The whole point, however, is that life is life, whether it's in this sphere or some other sphere, whether it's in the garden or another place. Life can only be lived in one way, and that is, and this is the next quote, the first is that life is lived moving forward. All of life is a process of change. Without change, there can't be any life. The very essence of life is the change that takes place in ourselves. We can't have life without change. And so Adam and Eve are undergoing the most amazing change that's conceivable. They're going from a life of innocence and immortality in God's presence to this world where not only is death a possibility ever present, but the reality is that they will be confronting a world that they can't even conceive. It's a world that they haven't experienced before. The world is like that for every single one of us every single day. We haven't experienced the day that we're about to experience. The world as it exists now has never existed before. It will be what we created it to be. And so we are, as Adam and Eve, moving forward into a new life. And we can't live life going backward. There are a number of reasons that the Caribbean Sword is teaching us that life is this process of moving forward. And if we try to remain in one place, if we try to go back to where we, where we were, we're living a life that is a false life. It's a life of death. All right. And then there's kind of three things that you draw out for that, or three types of examples of people that try to live life moving backwards or, or holding on to something from the past or I guess one of them is trying to, you know, say, well, when this happens, then this will be made all right type thing. So I wrote them as nostalgia, I'll be happy when, and then grudges. Could you go into each of those and kind of explain what they are and why that's detrimental to a, a life well lived? Sure. I, I mean, the essence of, of what we're talking about now is that life is lived in the present, moving forward and in, into our future that is unknown and it has challenges. 
There are a number of people. I mean, I think it's very natural when people get older that they look back to when they were healthy and they loved life and they were having a good time and now life sucks. I give the story of a friend. I had a particular person in, in mind, but I've known many people like this. He was a sports star in high school and college. And every conversation I have, even since I've written the book, turns to how great he was in high school and college and how wonderful that was and how happy he was. But he's miserable now because he doesn't get the same kind of attention and his body won't do what he wants it to do and so forth. The fact is, is that we can't live a life in the past just in our glory days. If we're not living here and now in the present, then we're, it's the only place where life can actually be lived. Then we're living in a past that is dead. We can't change the past. There's no change in the past, and that's why it is death. To live in the past is to fail to be present. It's to fail to carry on and move forward in life in a way that is healthy for us. And so not being present here and now leaves us absolutely nowhere. All right, so you're not saying that you know you can't have fondness for your memories and your past. You're just saying it, longing to be back there as opposed to where you are now is not necessarily a healthy way to live. Yeah, and, and remembering with fondness the past is, not, is certainly not a bad thing, but refusing to be present here and now because the past was so much better is the problem. And you know there, there are a number of ways in which we do that. The reality is that for us, our memories are often sweeter than the reality. I mean, we're, you know, we're now empty nesters. And after the kids left, I was lamenting how wonderful it was when we had kids and how now, you know, we get around the table and there's just two of us. And I just miss having the whole family there. And my wife reminds me, look, it wasn't all fun and games. We had a lot of challenges. Then you kids will bring your kids around, my grandchildren. And it's like, oh man, this is chaos. And how do I deal with this? And it's like, well, this is what it was like. It's not the sweetness that you have in your memory. There were challenges and problems that we had to confront. It wasn't all fun and games. And so, you know, I think our memories tend to distort the way that things actually were. But even then, the dynamic of life and the vitality of life is lived in the here and now, concentrating on where we are with the people that we're with, not wishing that we were somewhere else. Makes sense. All right. And then uh, this next one is... A pretty common one as well. It's this mentality of, I'll be happy when, I'll be happy when I get the new job, I'll be happy when I have this accomplishment. How is the cherubim sword a symbol for that kind of living as well? What we're doing, we're not living in the present, we're not living in the here and now. We're longing for a time that doesn't actually exist. The future isn't here yet. And so what we're saying is, this is another way of failing to be present. I can't be happy now for reasons x y and z but someday i will be happy and so i'm i'm just living my life in a future tense right now hoping that that someday the future will come but the future never comes every time is merely the present and i'm still here so if we live our lives wishing our lives away for something better than we have now we're missing what we have now the greatest waste is that a person who's always wishing they had more I'll be happy when I get a, a really fancy sports car. I'll be happy when I have a yacht. I'll be happy when I can travel. Living here and now in the vitality and just sheer joy of life in the here and now is really the only healthy way we can live life. And wishing our lives away for something else that will someday happen just means that we're living in someday that will never actually exist because when we get there, it will still be someday in the future. Yeah, uh, a movie comes to mind it was 
I think it's based on an old folk tale, but and it's not actually a very good movie. But the folk tale is a good message. the The movie was an Adam Sandler one called Click, and he had this magical remote that he could fast forward his life every time he got hard. He's like, oh, this isn't when I'm going to be happy when my little kids are screaming at me and my work's stressful. Let's just fast forward to when the kids are a little bit older, and then then they're teenagers, and he's like, oh gosh, this is miserable. So then he fast forwards to when he's old, and he's like, oh, now now I miss my kids, and I miss their whole life. Anyway, he just realizes that same thing, that you have to learn to be happy where you're at, because you could always find something to be unhappy about. Yeah, it reminds me of the Harry Chapin um, Cats in the Cradle. You know, he's the father is, is working hard and doesn't have time to go out and play with his son, and he's just never available. Then when he gets older and wants to spend time with his son, his son is in that stage of life, and he just doesn't have time for his father. And in this way, we just fail to engage and be with the people that are here right now. There's another movie that I'd refer to. It's one of my favorites. It's called Michael. It stars John Travolta. And it's about the angel Michael, obviously, who falls in love with a mortal woman. And, I mean, you take the entire movie to get here, but he gives up his immortality. And she has cancer. She's going to die. He gives up his immortality to spend just one day of mortal life with this woman that he loves and to me that's so touching because it shows the value of love just one mortal day with the person that you love is worth all of eternity it's just so insightful think about you know we've been able to experience this many times the people that we love and now they're gone and we can't be with you know someday we'll be with them again but right now we just can't and what would we give to just spend an hour with that person you know so getting all choked up, but that's what it's worth, just to be with the people. And so we can't fail to be with the people that we're actually with, or we're forgetting the value that eternity has for us at every single moment that we can express our love and be with the people that we love. All right, and the next one there is just holding grudges, kind of just placing people in the past and keeping them there is how you kind of mentioned it last time well this is what refusing to forgive refusing to forgive people is the the denial of atonement the essence of atonement is that people can change and become a new person and when we hold people in judgment for what they've done in the past then we stick them in the past and refuse to allow them to change and move forward and become a different person now we personally would all love to be forgiven None of us are proud of every moment that we have, and there's particular moments I think that we'd all like to say, then you know, it's not my finest moment. And I don't want to be judged or held in that moment for the rest of my life. I want to be able to grow and learn from my mistakes. When we refuse to forgive people, when we judge them and hold them in the past, then what we're saying is, I'm denying the atonement. I'm denying that you can change. I'm denying that you're a living, breathing human being, and I'm just going to make you this one moment in your entire life and refuse to allow you to to move beyond it. Yeah, I saw basically a documentary about a family that was working on forgiving someone who murdered their daughter, I think. And, you know, that's powerful because that's hard. Like, how do you do that? But they kind of said the same thing. Like, I can't judge this person by the worst thing they've ever done. And they might actually, you know, maybe not be the best person. But like, I don't, because like when we do something wrong and we're like, well, if you knew all the all the circumstances of like what led me to that point in my life or all the things going on in my head or like what led to that, you would understand. And so it's like, well, it's hard for us to judge those things. So yes, that's a terrible thing. And we can't, you know, as a society, let them walk free or whatever for fear they do it again. But the power of forgiving them, 
I don't know when I saw that, like, cause I was thinking like, I don't know. I don't know if I could forgive someone that did that. But the fact is refusing to forgive somebody doesn't hold them back. It holds us back. It's really holds us in the past. And I, I mean, I think of the, there was an event that occurred, I think it's just over a decade ago now. This happened in Draper, Utah. There was a bishop who was driving home from church with his family, and he was broadsided by a guy who was driving drunk at an intersection. And if I recall correctly, killed his wife and three of his children. And while he was still in the car, he realized that he could either spend the rest of his life hating this person or he could forgive him now and move forward. And he did so. Now, I'm not that kind of person, I don't think. I mean, I just that that is just so superhuman to me that it's difficult for me to fathom. I'd want to get out and pummel the guy. I know that's my first reaction. But the whole fact is, is the only person we're holding back when we refuse to forgive is us. Oftentimes, the people we forgive aren't, don't know that we're forgiving them. And so forgiveness is really about our own personal healing. It's not about the other person. It's always about us. Sometimes also, like in our modern culture, there's kind of this attitude of being easily offended and taking offense where sometimes either none was given or you're just, you know, choosing to do that. And it's, I don't find that a healthy way to live either. Yeah, let's just state the truth. The truth is that no power in heaven or hell can cause us to take offense if we choose not to. No power in heaven or hell can make us refuse to forgive unless we choose not to. It's our choice. And I I believe in the power of human choice and the power to change. And so the bottom line for me is that we are very powerful in the choices that we have. And we give our power up and give it to the other person to allow them to make us feel rotten. When we hold grudges, we refuse to forgive. We hold people in their past. These are all ways that we do harm to ourselves, thinking that we're actually harming the other person. I saw a really good definition of the refusal to forgive. The refusal to forgive is like taking poison and waiting for the other person to die. All right. Well, that was a summation of the first point, which you say, you know, life is lived going forward. So the second thing that you say is a lesson we can learn is that God told Adam and Eve that if they ate the fruit, they would physically die. And they did die. And so will we. But just like they didn't die immediately... When we die, it doesn't have to be right now. In other words, we're not judged right now in this moment. We have a space here. For example, in the Book of Mormon in Alma 42, 3-4, there's more to this, but I just copied the last bit of it here. It says, and thus we see that there was a time granted unto man to repent, yea, a probationary time, a time to repent and serve God. And I take it you're referring to that and saying, well, that's what this time to live before we die is. In fact, I'm making another statement, and that is that the entire purpose of the atonement is bound in this fact that Christ is not judging us right now. The Book of Mormon repeatedly speaks about the mercy and the justice of God. The justice of God is that someday we will be judged, and the Book of Mormon always equates judgment with God's justice. We will be judged justly. But God doesn't have to execute judgment right now, and instead of executing judgment right now, he's given us a chance in life to change, to repent, to make a different choice than we've made before. We chose to walk out of God's presence. He's now waiting for us to make the choice to walk back into his presence, but it has to be a free choice, one made in love. And so the entire purpose of human life is to give us a chance to change and make a different choice. That's why living here and now where we can make that choice is so important. 
And it requires consciousness about really what's holding us back. What is holding us back from walking back into God's presence? It's not the sword that is being held by the carabine that is really doing that. It's us. And so what we're doing in this life is being given a chance. And God's atonement, his mercy and atonement, consists in precisely the fact that he's placed us on probation rather than executing judgment right now. Remember in the story, God could have, but he didn't send the carabine after Adam and Eve to kill him. He let them go on their way. He just blocked the way back so that they couldn't eat the fruit of the tree of life. That is to say, they couldn't have the fruit of their lives until they lived them. It's just a fact about life. We have to live this life before we can have the fruits of our lives. It's just logically impossible to do it any other way. And so, right now, God is expressing his mercy to us by giving us a chance to change. And so, God's mercy consists in giving us a space of probation to change, and his judgment consists in the fact I'm going to tell you a little secret. We always get the results of what we choose. Sometimes they come a little bit later, and sometimes they come a little bit faster, but there's no way to avoid them. We always get the results of what we choose. We receive what we truly desire. What we send out returns to us. What we sow, we reap. What goes around comes around. You know, this is the law of karma. You can call it what you want, but the fact is, is there's simply no way to avoid the consequences of what we choose. And we have chosen to take on this life in all of its beauty, all of its terror, all of the challenges, and all of the the wonderful things that we experience together with it. And in doing so, God has expressed mercy to us by not executing judgment now, and he's asking us not to do the same thing. He wants us to give each other a space in which we can change. He's asking us to be like he is. And so this is the key to atonement. In fact, I would say this is what the atonement consists in, is giving us a chance to choose to return his love with our own. And he's giving us a chance to make a different choice than we have made to walk out of his presence. Thank you for joining us. To support the podcast, donate at exploringmormonthought.com. Follow us on facebook.com forward slash exploring Mormon thought.